0: It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, we have a very special guest in the music world who some 30 years ago had a dream and a vision, a business savvy, and a determination that allowed him to develop a premier jazz and music organization. That has a global recognition. His name is James Horowitz, and he is the founder, president, and CEO of Jazz Aspen Snowmass, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Jim, it is a pleasure to have you here on All That's Jazz.
1: Thank you so much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. It's 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 an honor to be here, and uh, you. you know, those are a lot of very very nice words that you strung together. So I'll see if I can live up to them here.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm certain that you will. Let's start a little bit so that the listeners have a, a little bit of a background about the beginnings of Jazz Aspen. As I said, you're a man of vision and you had a dream and that started a little more than 30 years ago when you were at a festival in Marciac and that was the influence that said... I need to have a festival like this one if I'm going to do one.
1: Correct. And that Marciac is a small village in southwestern France. When people say the south of France and they've heard of it, they think, oh, that's the Riviera. But this is not that part of France. This is uh, the western part of France, and it's over much closer to Spain and also to the Pyrenees, the Pyrenees Mountains. But the town itself of Marciac is just a very, very simple a village in, in the rural countryside where they grow corn and soybeans and sunflowers that are the size of, uh, you know, one foot in diameter. And it's a very, very rural place that I landed uh, quite by quite by accident. Well, not by accident, exactly. But what happened was a complete accident. It was the last date of a European tour that I had booked for a, a, a truly famous uh, jazz pianist, uh, interna- truly internationally known, Monty Alexander, the Jamaican born pianist. And um, my career in music started before Jazz Aspen, which is why I was able to start Jazz Aspen or eventually. But the four years prior to when I discovered Marciac and then was indeed the light bulb went off, I was uh, acting as Monty's kind of agent agent slash manager and that entailed sometimes going on the road and this trip which happened in 1989 was the, was the first time that i had toured with him in europe in the prime festival season and i booked basically a tour of it was probably 20 festivals in 30 nights something like that and the last night of the tour was this place marciac in france and marciac was the was the, in this little village but right on the edge of the village they put up a big tent seated six thousand people on a rugby field and then put rows and rows of chairs in there and uh in in southern french style that everyone had their dinner in the earlier part of the evening or not too early and then the music would start at nine o'clock at night and there would be one act at nine and then you'd come out and have your espresso and some wine or some combination and then go back in for the, the headliner at 11 and the whole atmosphere was just magic. The the reverence that people had for the music, the way the place was set up, the fact that they had this big tent in a little town and the whole town was the festival. There was no... and in the daytime they had free music down in the place and the square and the whole thing was just magic. And um, i it was one of those um, forks in the road in my life and when I I was already on the bit getting into the business side of the music and was interested in it and looking for ways to go deeper. And it was just the place where the light bulb went off. And I said, Oh, I want to do this. And I, and I know a place where something like this could work. It's a town that has a music festival and it's a classical festival, but they don't have a jazz festival, but they have a tradition and that town was Aspen. And it happened that I was a lucky kid whose parents actually discovered Aspen in the late 1950s and took a visit there that changed their lives. And then they started to visit. We, we lived in Miami where it was nice and hot in the summer. And then they discovered Aspen. It was like, hey, let's go here for a week. And let's go here for two weeks. Been, I'm talking in the 60s is when I was there. So very, very, very different time in Aspen. But of course it stuck in my mind forever and I continued to visit. My parents loved classical music I was in the jazz world they loved class they loved everything but it, it happened for me in like one second Marciac aspen it was like it was visceral and I was just like I know something like something like this could work so that's what happened and Mar- that's that's what happened it was like conception things went together the 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 energy and the excitement and then I just had from that day forward really my life changed I just I was I was it took me. Two years, get it to happen, 91, two years later, which is 30 years ago, and uh, here we are.
0: Well, and of course, the, you couldn't have positioned it in a better place, because just like Marciac you mentioned the fact that that town was magic, as is Aspen. It's a very magical and wonderful place that uh, I'm sure it takes no major convincing to get someone to go to Aspen. Was that part of it? Yes,
1: yes. I mean, I had I had felt it, and I I knew Aspen was a magical place. Perfect, very, uh, the right word or a word that you certainly could use it. It had magic, and it also it already had an arts tradition. That's part of the reason why the light bulb went off. I was well aware of Aspen being a town that had really was in the summer embraced arts and embraced certainly embraced classical music, and then. Even by the late 1980s, there were other things that were happening in the arts. And you already had the Institute, of course, and the atmosphere was there. And, uh, and also by the way, I had been in the Benedict music tent in previous years. There was, there were some shows in the eighties where there were some jazz shows. They had a, the music festival actually had a, a small jazz program that they did that was under their umbrella and they occasionally did shows on Saturday nights. They had a big band led by a guy named Ted Pilziker, who was a vibes player. And then later there were some shows, some good people went in there once in a while, landed out of nowhere. Hey, there's a show with like, and I knew enough about music. I'd already had been in it. And I was like, this is a town that would embrace a jazz festival. It just, it didn't seem like a reach. It seemed like a no brainer. It was like, God, I can't believe that all of a sudden, like, God, what a great place. For a jazz festival, but already in my mind, I was like a jazz festival, but a, but one that I, I could just see that Aspen was would not be. Aspen is not the south is not southwestern France, and the people that live there and live it's a different world. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there were a, it wouldn't be a carbon copy, but inspired by the vision of and so many things about the way it, it was put together and the way it related. And in fact, the very first year. In 1991 when jazz Aspen started there's almost nobody that remembers this but we actually had free concerts in Wagner Park the first year and the next year food and wine moved into Wagner Park and that's the last time we ever had a free concert in Wagner Park so but it actually happened and that was a was was straight lifted from Marciac where they had a square a town plaza right in the middle of town and, and they had music going on that was free. All, and we did the same thing. We called it Jazz at the Village Green, and that was, that was the Marciac idea. But then in 1992, food and wine was growing, and the, we were just barely there. And they said, well, we like that weekend, actually. So, and that was that. So,
0: when you were younger, uh, as you mentioned uh, or alluded to, that your parents, Bunny and Arthur, took you to Aspen, and you went to the Aspen Music Festival and heard classical music, where did the jazz come into the picture?
1: Well, the jazz came into the picture um, actually through, I will say, that same person that I described, Monty Alexander, who uh, I ended up working with and, uh, later in life. And But what happened was that when I was quite young, I would say maybe 12 or 13, we were driving way south of Miami on Highway 1, US 1, which goes a long way, and we were we were way south of Miami. I don't know where we were going, but we were coming back from somewhere like in the Keys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a Sunday night and we were driving home and it was the evening already. It was, you know, like seven or eight o'clock tonight. And it was very, this is a very rural area. I'm talking probably a half an hour, maybe even an, at least a half an hour south of Miami in what's now probably homestead, let's say far. And all of a sudden we see a sign like there's a little motel and there's a sign jazz live jazz tonight, Monty Alexander trio in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Wow. And, and wow, well, we said, wow, what's that? And it was kind of like, and you know, Bunny says, Arthur, I think I'm hungry. Why don't we stop in and, you know, get a bite and hear some jazz. Well, we stopped in and, and, and all, and all had like an almost religious experience because Monty Alexander had literally just landed in Miami Fresh off the boat from Kingston, Jamaica. And Mani was was a stone, stone cold. I say genius, but that's not really the right word. His level of talent was off the chart, his energy, his charisma, he was just a gigantic talent already. You could just see it. And it floored us. And um, that was my first experience with jazz. And it that and then from that day forward we all got more interested in it. And Monty was a guy that we, um, that we would, you know, we became aware of him, became fans and now, oh, we would hear him in New York at the, the early Blue Note or we would hear, you know, and then we started to hear other people and just pay attention to jazz. And then they would see jazz shows that came to Miami. And Monty was the one that started awoken the interest. And then he stayed friends with our family. And I played the piano from when I was a kid, and I remember him coming to the house and watching me play the piano and asking me to play. And I was so young; I had pimple cream on my face, but he was like <laughs> a hero to me. So anyway, that's when it that's when it started. And it and and I just I stayed interested in jazz. It was, but I became interested in all kinds of music. I was a kid who liked. I grew up in the '60s, so I was into the Beatles and. Simon and Garfunkel and all kinds of stuff. But I learned about jazz. and I, I don't know. I just got exposed to it. But so early in life is when it started.
0: So when you finally decided that you wanted to develop Jazz Aspen and maybe replicate something like Marciac in Aspen, how, how did you overcome initial challenges? Or did you already have a business plan? Or did you have some sort of, Focus or direction that you knew you were going to take?
1: The first thing that I did was actually go to the Aspen Music Festival and suggest to them, why don't we start a jazz festival under your umbrella and I'll do the work. That was essentially what I said to them. I'll figure out the money. You don't have to just put it under your umbrella, endorse it. Here's what I want to do. And we would do it the week before your festival starts, typically, so it would be in June. And um, uh, I, he, here are my ideas. And it was the time when Robert Harth was just himself, 1989, had just arrived. He'd just been appointed president and CEO of Aspen Music Festival at the time. And he had come from L.A., from the Hollywood Bowl, where they already had a very well-established festival called the Playboy Jazz Festival. So I, I assumed hey, there's this guy, he's from L.A., he's, you know, Hollywood Bowl, He's going to know something about jazz maybe. And I some, you know, through someone, I don't even remember how, I asked my parents, do you know someone who knows someone at the on the board of the Aspen Music Festival, that I could ask who to talk, it was still like that. I asked a few people, who should I talk to? And everyone said, go talk to Robert Harth. So I eventually got an appointment. Hey, I, you don't know me. I'm a guy who's been here. I've been in the business. I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in starting. Would you take a meeting? I'd like to. So anyway, that's how it started, and I went to him with my very very detailed plan and ideas, and and then we we met a couple of more times, and at at a certain point he said to me, "He says, you know what? I got my hands full here with a fifty year old music festival in school. I don't really need a new project. You're you're obviously a very serious guy, and I you know I checked you out. you, you seem legitimate." we'll just rent it to you and good luck, you know, and you can take a seat. It. We'll give you, try it for a year, see what happens. And then that's fine. You know, and I, I you know, he says, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll figure something out. You're, you, I can tell you're serious, something like that. And I was like, I was just floored. I remember walking out and I was, I just probably reacted. And was like, Oh, so I hadn't, that really had not occurred to me. That it would even be possible to even suggest it. So I didn't. I just didn't. But then when he said it, I was like, oh, and I realized, boy, well, this is different, you know. But then as soon as I went home and thought about it, I was like, well, that's the greatest that's the greatest meeting I ever had in my life. I can't believe that he would basically just say, go ahead, you know, take a shot. It was a great thing. But for me at the time. It was a, it was a, it was a stunning kind of another one of those forks in the road. But then at that point, then I was like, okay, well, I'm doing this. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be back in touch. And we talked and he made, his says, okay, here, 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 this is, we'll charge you X. And I said, done. That's fair. Thank you. And that was it. And then I was on my own, you know, it was nothing, but here are the dates. The dates are June 22, 23, you know, we'll give you the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, then, then I had an anchor a place to hire, you know, to start looking to hire some, some great artists and find some money and, and then started to put the pieces together in the Marciac vision. That was the tent, but then we used the town Wagner park. And then we did a special opening night event at the hotel Jerome and then places stuff here and there. And it just, it was a festival. So that's how it quickly got started. So, to
0: speak. so when you finally got this underway, I, 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 first of all, I, I applaud you for some of the brilliant moves that you made early. You surrounded yourself with the right people. Yeah, you made some excellent connections, uh, people that could help you and help build this dream and this vision for you. Uh, and then you found funding through things like Global Relief, where you mm-hmm. actually planted trees for jazz kind of thing. Uh, but it's still gro- which
1: still are growing in uh, Rio Grande on the edge of Rio Grande Park,
0: and then you took artists and you had them plant them and and <laughs> staged a, a wonderful uh, mechanism for it to say, okay, here's what we're doing, and uh, let's go have the modern jazz quartet plant something here and the Yellow Jackets over there, and uh, you know you you planted the right seed, my friend. <laughs>
1: Well, that, that's you, you've um, you brought me back such a such a such a great memory. And uh, the Yellow Jackets, by the way, who were there at that first festival and did plant trees, um, are coming back to perform this summer uh, at our J S Cafe. Uh, they're still a band, which is you know awesome. And and the Modern Jazz Quartet such an elegant a brilliant group of musicians and they they performed actually something that was commissioned called majesty of the sun it's a beautiful beautiful piece right in there that line somewhere between chamber chamber music and jazz and classical it was jazz but it it had a lot of it that was arranged and orchestrated beautiful and but yes those were some those were some fertile seeds that were planted
0: so as you began to develop this and put everything together There must have been moments where you either doubted yourself possibly or you thought hmm this isn't going to work but yet you continued uh, and and you plotted along and and you were not going to give up you stayed true to your mission Mm -hmm. so when would a seminal moment have been to say okay i'm here i've arrived i'm the real Mm -hmm. deal
1: well there yeah that's that's interesting in hindsight there were a a number of them in the first or what seemed like them in the first 10 years. But then I, then it turned out over the next 20 years, I learned that those moments weren't, weren't as uh, as big maybe as they felt at the time or, or an assurance of future success either. But I'll, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a handful. So the first one that I would say really is a moment that I said, okay, something significant has happened here. I've arrived, okay, and not arrived like a star, but i have like, okay, something's happening. And and they were very early. One was 1993 when Snowmass actually gave me and Jazz Aspen a three-year contract to move the festival from uh, Aspen to Snowmass to the rodeo grounds. And it involved, uh, you know, giving us the land, also paying for a tent, also uh, providing uh, me with a two bedroom um, workers uh, employee housing unit and the two bedrooms. I lived in one and the other one was the Jazz Aspen office and a three year contract to which at the time felt like an eternity of commitment and marketing support. It was a whole bunch of things. It was money and marketing and housing and an office and a place to do that. That was a lot in 1993. So that was a big moment. And then very quickly, within within a year of that, we had a a small, what started as a very small sponsor, a, a Colorado mutual fund called Janus Funds, quickly became aware of us and then sponsored a uh, as soon as we moved the snowmass we had the idea the ritz carlton hotel was opening in aspen december 1993 and we were already an event and i approached them and said hey how about doing something great you know in that ballroom you have for the opening well like what like how about tony bennett and we booked tony bennett and after that concert the janice came and they were sponsor of the evening and they were it was 500 people sold out. Tony Bennett was, he had just done his thing with the red hot chili peppers. He was super hot and it was a buzzing night. And there was a picture taken in the foyer that happened for like by accident. Not, it wasn't planned, but Tony Bennett was a guy who would come out and mix with people after the show. He's like the most friendly, easygoing guy in the world. He came out and I was there in the lobby and, Tom Bailey was there from Janice. And so there was a picture with Tony Bennett in the middle and then Tom Bailey on one side and me on the other and we're all shaking hands. It's like the great, it was in my life, in Jazz Aspen's life, it was one of the great moments because it led to a title sponsor. And when Janice the next year became our title sponsor, that was really a a completely and gave us a multi-year contract. So now there was a municipality, a government on one side of town, really. And on the other side, there was a, a bona fide corporate sponsor that was a very, you know, mutual funds. It wasn't tobacco. It wasn't alcohol. It was, and it was a very good Colorado company. So those two things together, definitely the first moment of like, wow, there's something. Look at, we'll look at what's happened here in just a few years. So that's definitely, that would be, you know, right there. Then, there's a lot of musical moments along the way. Great years. Our 10th year was like, was like the perfect year we had in June. We had, we called it the three divas, Diana Kroll on Friday, Natalie Cole on Saturday, Bonnie Raitt on Sunday. They were all absolute superstars at the time. That was, and you know, perfect weather, sold out shows, perfect. And then Labor Day, we had Joe Cocker and Lyle Lovett and, Jimmy Cliff. Every, every day of the 10th year, the 10th season was like it was like perfect. Um, that was definitely a sort of a satisfying, like, wow, well, we had an anniversary. And then I'll jump ahead. I mean, there's other moments, but I have to say, not like, oh, we've arrived, but we've arrived. We've gone to another level. We had already arrived, but then we went to another level. And that's when we had Stevie Wonder perform in 2016. That jumped us up in our... Global footprint, awareness, just the level of buzz, level of attention, quality of, you know, not that we hadn't had many, many great concerts, but the Stevie concert was kind of an epic concert, you know, it was long and anyway, so those, those are some, the early ones are, you know, like having arrived, I would say the biggest one was really those two things that happened to put us on the map and then from there just a series, of, a series of, of moments. A lot of it is art and some of it is science, but there's a lot of instinct about who and what and when and where and how much and why and how do you put things together. And I would say in the first 10 years, first of all, by then, uh, music festivals, pop music, pop and jazz music festivals were very well established in the United States and in Europe. So I had a lot of I had plenty of uh, learning to do, but I also had plenty of examples to look at and to see, you know, different kinds of festivals, some urban, some rural, some in resorts, some, you know, different kinds of settings. And, and I really jumped in and learned and exposed myself and just watched to see what, what was being done in other places. And then the rest of it was just living in, living in Aspen Snowmass and having my own nose for what worked he, here in our community and the people that that lived and visited. And that's why as we grew, of course, it didn't start that way. But, you know, in our fifth year, we added a Labor Day weekend pop oriented outdoor festival, which had nothing to do with the original dream at all. It was nothing. But there were a lot of reasons why that became a logical extension of what we were doing and a compliment, not a contradiction, but a compliment, and something part of what's become a a pretty unique footprint in terms of under one, now our one umbrella of JAS, having a June festival, which is no longer even in in a tent. Now it's just a collection of small venues and moving around like a club crawl built on the strength of our Jazz Cafe series, how people have fallen in love here with small venue. Concerts of jazz and blues and world music and soul and funk and all of that, and then Labor Day weekend, which is outdoors and open air and ten thousand or more people. So it's a unique footprint, and then all of our education programs. So we've got a we've got our hands into a lot of different things, but that's who we are.
0: Through the thirty years, you have had such luminaries as well as the rising stars, an absolutely amazing list of people that have. Uh, come through Jazz Aspen Snowmass uh, in one form or another, be it your education program, uh, your cafe series, your festivals. It, it, it's truly outstanding.
1: It's called, I think, The Body of Work. We did a big green square coffee table book. There is a place in it, in this book, where there's an alphabetical list of the artists, and it's a—it's an astounding I, I have to say it's just it's single space and it just keeps going. And I remember going through old programs, oh yeah, there's so and so and then there's so and so and you know just doing it alphabetically. Right. Not just highlights, but it was just it was a pretty impressive list. I have I have to say. I mean, gratifying that so many, like you said, more like who haven't we had than we've had we we've, we've been able happily to get most of the people that we've tried I mean there's some there's some artists that are not are too big for our even for our our labor day event but that's fine for the 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 fact is we've had so many great artists we can't we can only just shake our heads and with gratitude and of course though you can say that you, it's it, it is a fact that once you've done it at this level yeah the, the 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 festival and organization does have a reputation so and it's a very positive one so If we're calling an agent about an artist, you know, it doesn't mean we always get a yes, but we get answered. We'll get an an answer and it'll be a serious one. It might be no, can't do it, or no, it's not enough money or no for who knows what reason or could easily be yes, you know, or maybe. But in any case, we're in the, the body, you know, if we send an offer to someone that we've never done a show with before you know (laughs) there's a little paragraph uh you know that says previous artists and we're going to list 50 names
0: obviously uh, you're on the rebound as is the entire music world right now from a major setback in life in general for all of us and that's called a pandemic how much of the pandemic now is going to change the present and the future of jazz aspen snowmass
1: well Great question. As far as the present is concerned, we have a, uh, a format for our June Festival and for our Jazz Cafe series, which is basically small venues. Uh, Pre-COVID, this would mean seating you know, anywhere from 100 to 150, 175 people in a, what would be con- called a club setting, really. We call it the jazz cafe because they're intimate. They're not uh, huge. They're, we're actually are pretty well suited to being able to still operate. They won't operate as of right now. We don't anticipate. We're, we're confident we're not going to be operating. We're not going to get the full pre-COVID capacity quite. I don't think. But it's going to be. But it, it's going to be more than it was last summer, which was only 50 people capped and we feel pretty good that the, the direction of things right now is that things are gonna to continue to loosen. And so we're anticipating that by the summer, we're gonna be able to add more people to these venues. And I, and I think that so short term, we have a layouts that we can work with. The, the fact that right now, if you're vaccinated, the CDC is saying you don't have to engage in distancing anymore, whether indoors, even including indoors, that's a big, that's a big thing. So we feel like we're in pretty good shape for managing to get through and not just managing, uh people are very, very, very hungry for live music. Everything that we've put on sale already for the summer is sold out, and then we don't have any more to sell. We're hoping that things that, that pitman County is going to loosen guidelines coming up here, and then by the beginning of June we will be able to. So short term. I, don't, I think that we've weathered the storm and as long as things open up the way they seem to be, I think we'll be in a great place that that people are going to value and appreciate what we have to offer more, more than ever. Um, so I'm expecting a good, really magical, if I could even say, we've got great talent coming where we've invited some of the best of the best. Our favorites, you know, Monty Alexander's coming back. Dee Dee Bridgewater, Take Six. I mean, we have just so many, so many great bands in June, and um, you know, we have Christian McBride and Kurt Elling and Shelley Berg, Catherine Russell, on our in our Jazz Cafe series, Curtis Steigers, Yellow Jackets. We got great people straight mm-hmm. through the summer. So I'm feeling like we're we are we are leading in a very in a great way. Long term, how post-pandemic life will affect Jazz Aspen. It is, uh, the only thing that I can say is that I personally believe that live music will come back as strong as ever, maybe even over time stronger, uh, that, the, that that experience is unique. It's a unique human experience. If, if you value it, if you love it, you're not going to forget it and you're gonna to want to do it and repeat it. So I, I feel that the audience is there and even future audiences, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that live music is just one of these, is a powerful, powerful human creation and experience that will not lose its value. Okay, that's one side. On the other side, I do think that while live music will retain its um, live audience that there's a, a great opportunity for all of the performing arts to start to develop really in a more in a more direct way the streaming and broadcast of their live productions to allow for people who are who are unable or less less interested in leaving their home and going to to a live experience with other people. And for for all the reasons it could be, and maybe other reasons we don't even know. And you know, it's not the same as being there. But then again, if you can't be there, it's maybe better than nothing. I'm basically saying in a nutshell, live music is it will be here to stay. Things may change for us and for others to a certain extent, but fundamentally, I don't think it's going away. And then number two is, I think there's a whole new world of people out there who can be reached through streaming and broadcast. So, that's that's what I think, and that includes for us, too.
0: Speaking of live music, what about Labor Day? Is it still your intent, first of all, for this Labor Day, September 3 through 5, to be outdoors and open up the field and let everybody hear some great music?
1: It's our intent that's the only way to, that's what it is. So, if, if it's only a question of the prevailing conditions. What Pitkin County Health—they're—they're uh, they're getting ready to—to to take, you know, all rest, lift restrictions outside of recommend, outside of insisting that masks be worn indoors. So, as of the moment, or what the way that it looks is that those rules are going to be going away. I think that um, what it will really come down to is not just us, but. How things are going in general. Does the vaccination the vaccination rate is already very high in the valley. I think it's it's a decision that's going to be made for us according to how things go over the summertime, you know. And I think by June we're going to have a pretty good idea. And my hunch is that you know from people that I've spoken to in the industry, the the consensus for what it's worth at the moment is that by the beginning of August outdoor Concert venues will be operating in pretty close to full capacity. Mm-hmm. So that's what most people in the industry think right now. Is that make it a guarantee? Of course not.
0: So for Labor Day, uh, you've got some people lined up already. Uh, Stevie Nicks, uh, you've got Eric Church, Kings of Leon, uh, Maren Morris, any More, others?
1: We'll be announcing the rest of our lineup in June. That's what it looks like. June. We have to get through the next, uh, and then it's already on sale. It's still on sale as we speak, but we won't release in the, the passes are on sale, the three-day pass, but we won't release the rest of the lineup, which is not fully done, even as we speak close to, but not quite, mm-hmm. but it's going to be released in June. We have some really, really, really good, strong additions and some things that we're working on that are in that category of new, new and fresh that will blow your Blow your socks off, which is always fun. So we have a couple of those. Well worthy of a thirtieth of a thirtieth year, thirtieth anniversary. Well worthy. <laughs> so
0: we can't squeeze it out of you right now or oh, some no. of it.
1: Oh no, absolutely not. Truth with truth serum.
0: <laughs> anyway. Well, Jim, truth be told, this has been a wonderful time for me to spend in conversation with you about the 30 years of Jazz Aspen Snowmass.
1: Thank you very much. And and we, we hopefully will see you up here one of these days sooner or later. It's been great, great seeing you, seeing an old friend, familiar face and hearing. It's wonderful. It's like I wish we could just have a beer or a glass of French wine right now. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll save that. There you go. We'll save that for when we for when you make it back. I look forward to uh, hearing the finished product. But I know it's it's been fun talking to you, as always. And good luck with uh, all that's jazz and keeping it rolling. It sounds great. I'm honored to be have been uh, part of your part of your in your first hundred episodes.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Jim
1: Horowitz. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song.
0: And visit us next time for another interesting conversation
1: on All That's Jazz. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.